Get about the curveball, Ricky. Give him a heater. Welcome to the Heater Podcast. I'm Dan Lewig. He's Corey Peeper. As we break down uh, the relief pitcher market that has finally kicked off, uh, we have uh, a former Cy Young pitcher who is uh, uh, now signed with pinstripes. Uh, We have more information on uh, what the MLB owners are wanting for the upcoming season as we get ready to navigate the initial step of post-pandemic of trying to get to that level as far as baseball is concerned. There's uh, nine-figure salary contract offers that have uh, now been out there, uh, and we'll see if that leads to a uh, signing in the near future. But that's what we're going to break down here as we... uh, uh, get ready for some uh, Major League Baseball fun. We are now less than 30 days That's from pitchers right. and catchers reporting yes. if it stays at that uh, spot, at least what's on the schedule right now. So we are under a month away, and you could tell. I, I sent you a message earlier this week that, uh, the like we said, we needed to get to this point, get past uh, Christmas, mm-hmm. get into the middle of January, and then the free agent market was finally going to start. And last week and this week finally feels like we have an actual market and big things that are taking place. But before we dive into all those, as always, uh, the Heater Podcast is brought to you by River Creek Popcorn. For all your snacking needs for baseball games and movies of choice, come hungry, leave happy. In fact, we have a Super Bowl special to talk about. 29th and the 30th of January. You you can hit me or hit up River Creek Popcorn through Facebook, please, if you would like to place an order. Uh, We have caramel corn. We'll have the cheese corn, the regular popcorn. The kettle corn, Supreme Crunch, which is like a Cracker Jack, basically. And so we're going to have all of it available that day. We'll do car hopping, very COVID safe. We are still trying very hard to be COVID safe. I'll wear a mask. I'll bring it to your car. Just beep the horn in my driveway. And uh, 29th is Friday, next a week from Friday, and then 30th. So it'll be the week where there will not be. Uh, there's no Pro Bowl, so not going to be a football game. The Pro Bowl is like a skills thing this year. So, yeah, come then. Get their popcorn for the Super Bowl. Hopefully the Packers will be in it. I got to get my cheddar popcorn order in before uh, before it's there. So, there uh, luckily, I have an in. So you do have an in. Uh, yes, you have an in. But as we uh, dive into uh, a major league baseball, I have my, uh, uh, my going back to my uh, New Orleans, Minnesota days. I have my uh, my shells uh, fire brick. They're winter seasonal uh, brew. Is that, it really uh, dark? Is it really dark? It's an, an amber lager. That's that's, uh, that, that sounds good. I'm not good with the super uh, dark ones. True story, uh, you have uh, the former uh, Twins manager, Ron Gardenhire, is a very big fan of Shell's, uh, Shell's beer, and I've uh, brought some to him so I can say went on a beer run for a, a former Major League Congrats. manager. And so I'm uh, in my German Stein, ready to talk baseball with this. We're ready to, to get things going. Let's start with uh, some the wants. As we get into more information has come out this week on what the owners are hoping for. Uh, what their picture is, what they'd like to see the start of Major League uh, Baseball the season uh, to look like. This was a Bob Nightingale report from USA Today, and it's basically a lot of a return to 2020. So in 2020, we saw the seven-inning doubleheaders and the extra-inning games with the runner on second. Well, that's, according to him, the Major League Baseball would like to do the exact same things all over again because... Uh, we don't know when the season started. We've said on this podcast that they would like to start in April. I, they would very much like to start in April, but it's still the the rollout of the COVID vaccine is going a little slower than was anticipated. And so push it back a month and then you have to figure out a way to get these games in. I suppose hoped versus anticipated, because if you want anything to go slower and cost more, let the government handle it. And no that's comment. just a good rule of thumb. Yeah. In general, whether Republican, Democrat, or anything, that's the way uh, a big organization like that works. So it's not surprising that the rollout is going slower than had hoped, because again, these things take time to, to get everything figured out, too. Uh, but bottom line is what the owners want is, when can we start the season where we can have fans in the stands and have all revenue access like previous years? That's the question. That's really all this other stuff is about. Uh, they're more than happy to push back the season uh, and have uh, whatever it takes to have near full capacity stadiums or at least 50% capacity stadiums and have that going. However, they also would like the uh, 
the players to take a prorated salary, and that is a guaranteed non-starter. Here's the deal. You just said we're less than 30 days away. This decision needs to be made soon. Like you cannot keep kicking this down the like kicking the can down the road anymore. These players have to line up spring yep. training homes uh, for whether themselves or their families. What's the apartment? Where are they staying at? For how long are they staying? Like these things uh, need to get what? done. It's, it feels so much managers that need to figure out to get equipment packed and it ready to go. Feels so much like last year where it was. Let's just keep delaying and delaying and oh maybe we're gonna start here and we're gonna start here and. Just make a decision. Some MLB, you've had all off season to do this. The season got done at, in October. So you've now had a couple of months. And yeah, I know you wanted to see what was going to happen with COVID, but we're now in the mid-January here. Like make a decision when you're going to start this so we can start planning and the players can start planning around it. And I think we're at that point again. When yep. you get just under a month now, there has to be a decision made in the next at most 10 days. Like there has to be something there to allow for travel time. If it's going to be different than what's there, they could already say, well, it's already on the schedule. Well, players also need to know the certainty. They don't want to sign leases for something that you're now going to push back a month later and be on the hook for. Uh, so there needs to be more of a firm, like, yes, we are agreeing to this. No, we are not pushing back or yes, we are pushing it back. And I think you have to have that decision in the next 10 days. So again, baseball always goes to the 11th hour we're pretty much at that 11th hour, both in free agency as well as uh, uh, making decisions on the upcoming season. So there should be some sort of headway, some sort of clarity in the next 10 days. Let's talk about some things that we do have clarity on. So last week here was arbitration week. So players that were able to negotiate their contracts did not have to go through arbitration. And there's a long list of players we chose not to mention them, but Many players were able to strike a deal with their clubs so that they did not need to go through arbitration. There were 13 who did not. So I'm going to throw the names out there, what they asked for and what the team offered, and you tell me what you think, okay? Let's do it. Okay. Carlos Correa, shortstop for the Houston Astros. He asked for $12.75 million. The team offered $9.75 million. Comments? That's a, probably one of the larger gaps that's there. Is this, I forget, is this year one arbitration or year two arbitration for him? Give me a sec. Because uh, that's uh, that's the other key question for them, but a $3 million gap. This is year two. So uh, now we're getting up. He wants into the uh, you know the eight figures uh, for, for the salary. Uh, the, when you take a look at what Francisco Lindor made. Uh, 22 uh, something, I and, believe. In his, in his final year. And oh, I believe, sorry. Uh, yeah, and uh, Carlos Correa, uh, I believe is, uh, he was uh, – I forget the name of it when when you have uh, early uh, super two. Super two, yep. So I believe he's super two. I believe he is. So, yes. so that means four years. So mm -hmm. 12, 12 million now. Again, you're going to be getting up to twenty two million if you keep up that level of results that he's at. He's more in line than what the Astros are. I believe there's a strong chance he gets that. I I would agree with that. Yeah, little drop off the last couple of years, but I, I do believe he has a good chance to get that negotiation that he wants. Uh, next on the list is Dansby Swanson, yet another shortstop. I'm fairly certain this is his first year of arbitration with the Braves. He asked for six point seven million. They offered six million. See, that's where we get that close. It's it's going to be hard to say. Uh, Again, unless you have some sort of elite numbers that stand out significantly, it's hard to go in the favor of the of the players. Uh, that one I could easily see going uh, Braves. Uh, Walker Bueller, his first year, I believe, eligible for arbitration. Walker Bueller, the young stud pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers, wanted one or wanted four point one five million. The Dodgers offered three point three million. I think what's going to hurt him is he doesn't have enough innings. That's what I was just going to say that, man. It's, uh, the talent and all that stuff is there, but again, arbitration is old school. And, and uh, as the sport has changed to uh, modern stats, arbitration is not. Uh, it is still based upon starts, innings pitched, uh, ERA. Like it does Now, they're trying to incorporate some of these other things into it, but it still is led by that and wins and all those good things. Uh, I, don't, I just don't think he has enough of those types of classic stats uh, to get him there. I, I would absolutely agree with that. The Dodgers do everything they can to keep his innings from climbing up there, not necessarily for arbitration, but for his shoulder and arm. Correct. Uh, Ian Happ wanted $4.1 coming off arguably his best season, even in a short season, and the team offered three and one quarter million, so 3.25. See, now that's the question that uh, that's the hard part in arbitration. How do you evaluate the short season stats? Mm -hmm. uh, and how does that factor into arbitration? I think this is probably one of the bigger cases where uh, 
how that gets evaluated will be the most clear. Uh, I think he stands a strong shot at getting his. I think he's going to get uh, his. The, the defensive skills, the bat was there as a good overall all-around year. I think he's going to get that. Jack Flaherty, the other young stud pitcher, this time for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, he asked for, sorry, I just lost it. He asked for $3.9 million. The team offered 3.3, so not a big difference there. But once again, not a lot of innings, especially last year. Two years ago, I think it was a no-brainer. But last year, he didn't pitch it nearly as well as he had the last couple of years, and it wasn't many innings. That one's going to be a coin toss. Yeah. I can see that going either way. Yeah, when it's that close, you never can decide. So those are the big names. There's also, we talked Donovan Solano coming off his best year. He wants 3.9. The team offered 3.25. Once again, not a big difference. That could be a coin toss. We should talk this one because he's your guy. Shohei Otani, in his first year of arbitration, he asked for $3.3 million. The team offered 2.5. This is going to be, again, the reason why that's also an interesting one to monitor because arbitration is setting a, a standard, setting a base. He's got a unique he, skill set, right? He has not only the unique skill set, but next to no innings uh, because of uh, getting back that way. The bat was, only, was uh, very minimal at this point, so he doesn't have any stats to point to. So this just becomes, where do you put a guy at the beginning without the other accolades to go with it? What's that minimum salary that's there for that that first first year uh, in the process? So I don't I, think he's going to get that, to tell you the truth. I think I, the team wins that it. one. Uh, if, if it does, it means the prices for arbitration are going up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tampa Bay Rays. Sort of starting, I guess he's back to a starting pitcher. Now he's a follower, but now he's a starting pitcher. Ryan Yarbrough asked for $3.1 million, $3.1 million was offered $2.3 million. He's got the classic stats. If you look at the last couple of the years, wins. he's got the wins. He's got uh, those things to work with it. He's still being treated as a starting pitcher. They're not going to try anything else otherwise with this. So the opener-follower thing really shouldn't matter other than to his credit that he is flexibility mm-hmm. uh, within this. Uh, and he's got enough of those things to go with it. Yeah, I, I think he wins that one. I think he does too. Mike Soroka tore the Achilles, but was pitching excellently for the Atlanta Braves. He asked for 2.8. The team offered 2.1. I I think he should expect to win that argument, actually, unless the injury does cause him to drop that. The I think what we're seeing is the baseline for a starting pitcher in year one of arbitration is around the $3 million mark. I think mm-hmm. that's what we're looking at. A couple more here. J.D. Davis asked for 2.47, got offered 2.1. That's so close. Again, you could flip a coin. Anthony Santander coming off that yeah. excellent, was it 45 games before he got hurt or so for the Baltimore, asked for 2.47, got offered 2.1. I, once again, that's so that's close. So close. It's, it's hard to determine. G-Man Choi, also a Tampa Bay Ray, asked for 2.45, was offered 1.85. All defense. Defense and also platoon bat I, and uh, at a position that's already devalued and you need to have ma- more massive like offensive numbers for that position. He doesn't have that. I don't think he wins that one. Yeah, I don't think he wins that one either. And finally, the last one on this list is Austin Barnes, who asked for two, was offered 1.5 to be the backup catcher for the Dodgers. I Honestly, I have no idea on that one. <laughs> the backup catchers. More than likely on the lower side. Yeah. Uh, with that being the the case in defensive value, yes. Offense, not so much. So there isn't anything else to stand out there. That's it. That's our list. The last news and notes is uh, talking about a former major leaguer, uh, well-known uh, Dave Stewart, uh, has an offer to purchase the Oakland Coliseum from the city of Oakland. Uh, again, as far as the stadium uh, saga goes in Oakland, they have a different uh, deal in place for a different location for a stadium in the in the region. Uh, but if something would fall through, uh, Dave Stewart has plans for renovating, or I mean, doing a full new uh, uh, construction, new everything there for a new plans, uh, new development. There's the word I was going there for, go. development. For the area, it could include a baseball stadium if the current plans fall through. Uh, but he has an offer of $115 bucks for the, the property uh, there. So I pulled up his combined salary that he made his entire playing career, and it was $19.9 million. So what we usually see in these type of things is that you get large investors to back it, and Dave Stewart is probably a figurehead. Otherwise, the man made some unbelievable investments over the last 20 years to get to what did you say? 120 million? 115. 115 million. So, yeah, I'm sure I, some capital, uh, some capital uh, investors from yep. Oakland, I'm sure jumped in on that. And he's just the figurehead. That's that's what we see in these things. But uh, 
I don't know exactly how likely it is that he will win this, but it's a good offer, obviously. Especially in the pandemic level That's things right. and other stuff going on. So that'll be uh, interesting to see just how mm-hmm. that uh, former uh, uh, stadium uh, gets done. I've watched, I've uh, been to some games live uh, really? over there. Uh, nice. And, you know, of course, that was also a former Raider Nation uh, as well with the shared stadium. Uh, but uh, we'll see what happens with that because once that stadium situation gets resolved, then it's down to the Tampa Bay Rays with their stadium situation. I see that they're looking fans. at expansion. Yeah, they're set for uh, and cue all the the classic attendance jokes. They're looking at a seven thousand <laughs> seven thousand uh, uh, is what their capacity is going to be to begin with, uh, and they're going to open up the upper deck to give the spacing for it. But uh, plenty of jokes on Twitter this week right. about so in other words normal attendance for the Rays, uh, no restrictions for them. So. I won't make any jokes uh, it's, for you. Uh, I always say it's an incentive for them because to, to get that, which they're they're going to get that level. You should uh, at this point, yeah. Remember, teams like this lost their revenue sharing, and they'll probably lose it yet this year. That's a $50 million cut uh, to the small market team. So this is one of the ways to try to make up any, mu- any bit of that gap uh, in order to uh, – uh, plan for not only current payroll, but future payroll, etc. So we'll see how all that goes. But when we uh, uh, come back here, we'll take a look at the, the big signings from the week and start breaking down the, uh, the rumors of what's uh, happening in the uh, Twitter world. Cut my egg. Your eggs are cut, sir. Cut my milk. I can't, sir. It's liquid. Imbecile. Freeze it, then cut it. You, bring me the Wall Street Journal. You too. You are a madman. I want to party with you, cowboy. Are you kids with your loud music and your Dan Fogelberg, your Zima, hula hoops, and Pac-Man video games? Don't you see? People today have attention spans that can only be measured in nanoseconds. <laughs> be honest with you, I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Fulton fan. Yes! That's awesome! As we look at the free agent market for Major League Baseball, we start with the starting pitchers, and it's the the rec- reclamation project uh, group is what we have for three signings that take that have taken place. The most notable one is a former Cy Young winner from the Cleveland Indians, uh, Corey Kluber, signed a one-year, eleven million dollar contract mm-hmm. with the New York Yankees. Uh, what are your thoughts on on that deal? Well, it sounds like there was a lot of interest in him first off because he. We mentioned like a month ago that he was going to have a big throwing day in January and teams were expected to jump in. And it sounded like there was 25-ish teams out of the out of the league that showed up for that. So there was a lot of interest, obviously, with Corey Kluber. And I think that it's I think it's a good signing for the Yankees. They obviously need pitching depth. Now, Corey Kluber's been injured basically the last two seasons. Last year he pitched all of one inning, and the year before that was all of 35 innings, so it's two years, and, well, they're replacing James Paxton, who was very injury-prone. And so is there a lot of risk? A one-year $11 million deal to the Yankees is not a lot of risk. And so could Corey Kluber be, you know, is he going to win the Cy Young Award this year? I don't think so. Absolutely not. I'd be shocked. Could he pitch 180 innings of a mid-threes ERA there? Sure, absolutely. And with the Yankees' offense, does that probably win you 15 games? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a fine signing as long as he stays healthy, and then it's a great signing. The The reason why I'm uh, intrigued by this signing is, first, I thought was overpay. $11 bucks for someone who hasn't pitched in the past two years uh, seems a little more on the high side. However, here's why the Yankees were confident in doing this. Number one, the person who has been helping his rehabilitation uh, and getting ready for this uh, uh, this throwing session is related to the is a Yankees employee who's in their uh, training department and health department. So you have you already have an inside track on someone who's been working with him, knows the state of his arm, what he's been doing, how his stuff looks, uh, the full process. So they felt very comfortable with that number. And again, uh, with Paxton and Tanaka uh, off the the books at this point, you need to replace those uh, those innings. Yes, it's a health risk, but uh, they're bu- buying upside. And uh, for them to place that number at it, that tells you how confident they are uh, in him reaching uh, a lot of it, a lot of innings and significant innings for them this year. Here's what I'd say about Corey Kluber. We saw the report was he was throwing about 90 miles an hour. And I saw some people online saying, well, that's not fast enough. Okay, Corey Kluber was not. Okay, let's go to Madison Bumgarner here. So when Madison Bumgarner's 
at his peak, he's throwing 95 plus. And last year he's out there throwing 85 and he's getting just teed off on at his prime Cy Young level. Corey Kluber is throwing 92, maybe 93. He was not a hard thrower. That was not what got it's him through movement. it. It's a lot of movement. So at 90 miles an hour, especially can you, you figure he's not been super warmed up or whatever. The, the velocity is that does not worry me at all. So it, it's a good, I think it's a good signing. It'd be interesting to see I, I'm, for him. You're rooting for him to get back to, uh, uh, to what he what he was sure. uh, and have a chance at it and uh, uh, while I don't normally like to root for anyone in pinstripes I'll be more interested to see what what he does. Uh, we'll move on to the next uh, pitcher. Uh, uh, a guy who you've uh, been high on for his upside health has been the issue. Uh, Alex Wood signs with the San Francisco Giants. I like the Giants signing. So as we saw, we talked about Dee Sclafani a few weeks ago, but this one's even cheaper. So one year, three million dollar contract for the lefty. Uh, there's a bunch of incentives in there. I think it said it could get it up into the five to six million dollar range. Last year he struggled, right? Six thirty nine ERA, but fifteen strikeouts to six walks and in seventeen innings with the Dodgers. The lefty, I would expect him to start for the Giants again. And San Francisco's a huge ballpark, and the Dodgers are a good ballpark. And last year was rough, but we've seen really good innings out of Alex Wood's left arm in the past. They made this signing last year, Drew Smiley. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what this is. This is Alex Wood is this year's Drew Smiley. Uh, and the Giants uh, last year, and we, we've commended them on this podcast for uh, picking the right pitchers for, for upside. Uh, it's kind of like what Kevin the Marlins Gelsman. did, but with pitchers. Like the Marlins yeah. did it with oh, hitters, yeah. the Giants did it with pitchers. If that makes from, sense. From Kevin Gausman to Drew Smiley, they've uh, and those pitchers have, wow, take a look at their salary for this year uh, compared to last year. They have uh, bounced back well. Uh, Alex Wood is, is the next candidate uh, to see if, if that will happen. The final uh, uh, pitcher that uh, re-signed was Martin Perez with the uh, Boston Red Sox. So they had an option back, what was it, about a month ago? Yeah, November 1st, I guess, a while ago. Man, I'm way back. That he had an option for $6.85 million and the Red Sox declined it, which as I actually would decline that option too. And now they signed to a one-year $5 million guaranteed with some options in there. I believe it's a four and a half next year and then a club option or a buyout or something. And there's incentives for how many innings he pitches, which I would not expect. I think it gets up to like 170. I'd be shocked if Martin Perez throws 170 innings, but the Boston Red Sox certainly need pitching. Now is Martin Perez a star? Uh, no. Is he going to eat innings for them? Yeah, he, he can eat 130 innings of but he had a respectable four and a half ERA last year, so that's respectable. And especially again, when you remember that Kyle uh, Bloom is their uh, GM, he's got his Rays roots. Uh, this is a two-time through the order pitcher. Uh, so if they shield him from the third time through the order penalty, that's been been known in, in baseball. It especially hits him hard. Uh, he can be very effective for again like five innings uh, and get, get that out of him, which is what you're. At this price point, that's what you're looking for is five effective innings per start. Uh, that's definitely doable and can get you some uh, some upside uh, if you use him correctly. When we switch to uh, relief pitchers, this is the market that has finally emerged with the signing of Liam Hendricks. We've we've talked about it for a while. Specifically, the person to my left has, uh, <laughs> uh, spe- has uh, said it very well or uh, predicted it well. This was the match made in heaven between Hendricks and the White Sox. Tony Larusa and his love for the ninth inning closer. So we are. We talked about this. It is not the Tampa Bay Rays or almost most teams now that are willing to vary their ninth inning role. Tony Larusa's old school. I'm sure he wants a closer that he can say, "I'm going to turn you in the ninth inning and lock this game down." And Liam Hendricks is about as rock solid as it gets in 2021 this year, as far as closers are concerned. This is a kind of an interesting deal too. So it's three years and 54 million, but it's really only 39 million. And then it's like a fourth-year $15 million option that even if they choose to buy him out, he gets all 15 the way I understand it. It's a very weird contract. Yeah. Uh, it's a uh, – we'll talk about it the same way with uh, DJ LeMahieu in a little bit. It's a similar structure deal that's meant to lower the average annual value but still providing the the $50 million, like if that was his what he was targeting, a way to still get that uh, and then structured it in a very – a very different way, but uh, whatever creative accounting you need to get your money and make the team happy at the same time, there you go. Overall, I'll say this as far as the signing goes for the White Sox. 
I think that now that they have, you know, Colomay's gone, now that they have Liam Hendricks, and I actually, I like Darren Bummer as far as he had less than a one ERA last year. I think he could have been an okay closer for them. Now he just becomes a setup man, and they have some other good setup man. Garrett Crochet came up at the end of the year, threw 102 until his arm kind of went out in the playoffs, but I think he's going to be, I think he can pitch in the relief role for him this year. I, I think right now, I think they're better than the Twins. Until the Twins make the make their moves, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the White Sox have now added Lance Lynn. Uh, they have added uh, Adam, Adam Eaton, Eaton. Yep. Uh, and now Liam Hendricks. So now you've done a little bit of everything there. You've and and this is where I will actually give Tony Larusa credit because I don't know if I'm going to have many Ooh, opportunities to I do this that one. this year. What did you just add in those three? Veterans. Yes. Okay. Veterans to a team uh, that's very young. Experience mm-hmm. to a team that's very young. Those that are used to pitching and hitting in big moments. Uh, playoff experience, uh, those that can take the ball every fifth day and get stuff done, Lance Lynn, Liam Hendricks. That's mm-hmm. a huge boost to a young team trying to get over the hump. This is no different than what the Twins were when they were getting started out, when they were the young team and they've added Josh Donaldson, they added uh, some of these other Jake veterans, yeah, uh, Nelson, sure. Cruz. Nelson Cruz. Uh, so, again, this is exactly the trajectory that you'd want a young team to be on, and this will help to be the added voices in that clubhouse for Tony Larusa, since there is definitely a philosophical gap between management and players. You need these veterans to either smooth things over or say, well, this is what he really means, or get the messaging right where it's received right. So I will say this for Tony Larusa: He now has the veterans in his clubhouse with enough experience, with enough still high-end talent for people to listen. Uh, and it's exactly what they need at this stage if they want to take uh, surpass the Twins to win the AL Central. Now, that being said, I don't know how many more times I'm going to be saying positive things about Tony La Russa this year. That could year, be our new Pirate positive could, this year. It, 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 it could be, be the Tony La Russa it, positive. It, it might be. There you go. Uh, so you can uh, look forward to that in the, <laughs> uh, the upcoming year. But one uh, thing I'm also going to uh, plug here with this, more reasons of why you should be uh, listening to us for your baseball coverage, or at least part of your baseball coverage, is we have been right more than we have not when it comes to predicting offseason moves. From Blake Snell being traded to the San Diego Padres to calling Liam Hendricks going to the, to the Chicago White Sox, it's almost like we know what we're talking about on occasion. I actually think if there was somebody, my uncle listens, and he told me that apparently a while back I mentioned Corey Kluber to the Yankees. I don't even remember doing that one. I say a lot of things. Maybe too, I just I say too much. much Maybe myself, I just say but... too much. But apparently, I said that. I was like, "Really?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, you said that." I'm like, "Okay, cool, so thanks." <laughs> there's uh, there's another one where again, a upside uh, pitcher that fits a place that had the need, yeah, so think, that yeah. makes complete sense. And we were talking about Tanaka and Paxton leaving, and I said, "Well, they're going to need some type of veteran." And he said, "Well, you said Ojarizzi or Kluber," and I said, "Oh, I'll take that." <laughs> so, so yeah, we do know what we're talking about here, people. So uh, uh, stick around, tell your friends all that good That's stuff. Right. And we will uh, move on to the uh, probably the biggest uh, acquisition, though it's a re-signing, but it's one of the big names in uh, free agency, DJ LeMahieu. Uh, well, I guess I, let me hold on. I, I'm, I'm jumping the gun to hitters. We still got pitchers we to got talk two, about. We got two relievers here. Okay, let's go to yeah, Archie, Bradley. Archie Bradley. I'll get you. We will go to Archie Bradley. He Here's what's interesting about Archie Bradley is we knew the Phillies had a horrendous bullpen, like epically bad last year, and we said, once again, the Phillies need to work on their bullpen. They're doing it. So one year, $6 million with the Philadelphia Phillies. And he's had his ups and downs throughout his career, right? It's It's been really good. He was a closer with the Diamondbacks, got traded to the Reds. Well, now he's going one year, $6 million to the Phillies. That's their third relief pitcher they brought in. Now they traded for Sam Coonrod, who is a sort of a young reliever from the Giants. But then the two big ones are the trade for Alvarado, which we talked about, and now they've signed Archie Bradley. So along with some balance back from Hector Neris, you actually have three ninth-inning options now. Bottom line is you need late-inning options, and they've mm-hmm. started to add those, some with uh, upside, uh, others who have at least been solid. Archie Bradley, uh, let's put it this way, he is Liam Hendricks to the Phillies compared to what their bullpen was last year. Yes. Uh, so this say, still yeah. is an upgrade. Uh, regardless if the others don't pan out, you have more talent now. Uh, now you need to try to uh, to get that talent to play up to uh, what it is on paper, uh, but that's what you have coaches for. Uh, so as far as front office goes, they're getting t- more talent uh, put in-house, and now it's a matter of trying to uh, unlock or get them up to their uh, to their potential. One more relief pitcher signing this week, and it is Pedro Baez going from the Dodgers to the Astros. And you can tell they were interested here because this is a two-year, 
fourteen million dollar contract with a buyout for or sorry, an option for the third year. So Baez actually had a very nice season, although the strikeout rate was a little down. Three oh three ERA, one ten whip over that's a career. That's over a seven year career. So he is probably at this point projected to be the setup man behind Ryan Presley in a very good at least expected to be a very good Astros bullpen. And here's the key. Whenever you're getting a multi-year deal with a relief pitcher, especially in this market, you see most of the guys we're talking about in relief pitchers, it's a one-year deal. For him to get the second one and an option for a third, uh, that tells you how much uh, the Astros wanted to add him uh, to their like seventh and eighth inning, their setup man role. At Ryan Stanek. Pedro Baez, Ryan Presley, end of a bullpen on top of they've had very good success with guys like Blake Taylor in the past. So I, I like what the Astros are doing kind of quietly, but good. Dark horse uh, as they were this past year, continuing to do that with uh, with their moves. We'll see what happens with, uh, you know, Michael Brantley is their big uh, free agent uh, as a hitter in addition to George Springer, obviously, but they're going to add a bat. I'll be curious to see who it ends up being. You have an idea of who you think they're lurking uh, to potentially sign since we've been... uh, I don't waver off my predictions, man. Once I say it, like, eventually JT Romuto is going to the Nationals. And I'll, we'll get to the Astros later, but let's, let's talk about the bats right, yeah, that have, have signed. Rumors are coming up in let's a little bit. Let's talk about the so. bats that have signed. So you mentioned DJ LeMahieu, and we've talked about LeMahieu here, and I don't think we ever wavered off this one either. Uh, we've said that there was a chance the Dodgers would jump in. We heard the Dodgers would jump in. There was, of course, there was a chance the Blue Jays could try to sign DJ LeMahieu. But in or the, the end, Mets. or the Mets, sure. But in the end, he goes back to the Bronx, which is, I think, what we've said all along is we expected him to go back to the Bronx. He gave him a hometown discount. Now, as much as a six-year, $90 million contract is, it was a hometown discount because from what we hear, he could have actually earned more money, at least in the short term, elsewhere. There was a, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but there was a contract offer of four years and uh, $77 million. Uh, am I saying that right, or is it 473 I think it's 77 I'm pretty, okay. sure, I'm pretty sure you're right. So we have, uh, actually... One more time, four years, seventy-eight. I knew million. it was. I knew it was more than seventy-three. So, so there we go. So, there so there it was go. A, an offer that was on the table. Uh, it took two more years and only twelve million uh, uh, to stay with the Yankees. But this is where he wanted to be. Now, here's why this deal got set up this way. He wanted to get ninety, or at least uh, approach uh, a nine-figure contract. Uh, he might have gotten that from someone else. He wasn't going to get it from the Yankees, and the only way the Yankees were going to get up this high is if the, the years were added on to it. So this makes it a $15 million a year average annual value. The reason why that's important for the Yankees is because they're trying to stay under the luxury tax. That average uh, annual value matters to them in that process. So they still get the guy they want. Uh, LeMahieu still gets near the, the $90 million, and he's this is the, uh, the, the lifetime contract. This is yeah. where he's now going to retire with this type of deal. Uh, which is what he wanted all along. So everyone got what they wanted uh, and fit it in the the package that worked for them. So he's going to, I believe he's 32 right now, correct? Yep, he's 32 right now. So if he would have gotten that four-year deal, he hits free agency again at 36. He's not, even if, I don't expect DJ LeMay. In four years, DJ LeMay could still be a very good player. He's not going to be as good as he is now just because, Unless he's Nelson Cruz, right? Like he could be Howie Kendrick in the last couple. Sure, of years he could there, be Howie which, Kendrick, right? But that a, only gets you four million player. bucks a year, so it isn't like you have a lot of money left on the table and another contract coming. Take advantage of what you got. Sign your last big deal with the Yankees. You would expect he plugs right back into the top of that lineup, and it is an impressive lineup right now. There's there you could say top to bottom that every one of those hitters could very easily hit twenty home runs. I was looking at their lineup yesterday and thinking that there's a very good chance that every one of their hitters hits twenty home runs. They're going to need it if they don't take care of more more pitching. <laughs> Corey Kluber is see. Here's the here's the issue with the Yankees. They have made good signings. You, you re-signed DJ LeMahieu, which was huge to what he means to that uh, to that team and that offense. He's part of the uh, the contact hitters at the top that makes that engine go. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, getting uh, uh, Corey Kluber uh, to that rotation is mm-hmm. important. Another veteran that if he's at his height, him and uh, Garrett Cole, that's a nice one too. Here's the, the the problem, though. You haven't added anything. You just kept. You lost two starting pitchers at this point, Paxton and Tanaka. Tanaka gave you a lot of innings. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you also, uh, LeMahieu was a re-signing. So you didn't add anything here. So you're still a pitcher down. Uh, and so, like, as much as people try to praise the Yankees, oh, they're making their moves now, it, it hasn't happened yet. 
they still have subtracted more than they've added compared on paper to last year's roster. So it still remains to be seen what do they do for another starting pitcher or how do they solve those things. Now, Luis Severino is coming back from injury. That's a big uh, mm-hmm. big help, and that could be uh, the game changer right there. But there's still a lot of questions yet uh, for the New York Yankees. Uh, and then there's I'm just looking at the roster. They still have Domingo Herman, who I just I wonder what he's going to do this year because last we heard from him he was retiring or whatever after almost after winning 18 the year before. So yeah, there's there's absolutely questions. I'm not I'm not sitting here saying you right now that I, I don't even know if I'll pick the Yankees to win that division. I think the Blue Jays might still be better than them to tell you something. I have ab- uh, absolutely no idea for the the AL East yet. It's still to oh. be determined. You have a a legitimate three team race. Uh, hmm. Between, because there's still enough young talent with the Tampa Bay Rays uh, that are there, and the way they do pitching, they always find a way to fill those spots. Now, again, whether they have enough star power to, uh, at the end, that's a whole different question. But uh, from them to the the Blue Jays, a lot of young talent. They're still trying to add that big uh, that big bat or that big pitcher, something uh, to augment that team. And then the Yankees are, are still there, where they're, they're not done with their moves yet either. So it's a three team race and a lot to be decided yet there. Let's talk about a team that may already have made all of their moves or I think they got one more left in them actually but the Mets made yet another signing this is not the Francisco Lindor trade this is not even James McCann but they signed Jose Martinez to a one-year one million dollar contract with another half a million available in incentives I would be honestly not all that surprised if he didn't even make their roster uh if there's a DH if there's a DH he probably will but he's not starting there they're putting Dom Smith there unless they make another move so it's an interesting signing. Jose Martinez, I've said, I, I like the bat. I think it's a great bat, but he can't play defense at all. And the team is really deep. The last year's numbers were a wash. He wasn't mm-hmm. the, the same same player. Uh, but now in a full season, maybe that changes. So it's an upside signing. But they don't have the bench room unless the DH uh, happens. And even then, it's still puzzling because that's what Dom Smith is for. So uh, who knows what they're doing there yet with that? Or if this is a... Uh, precursor to like uh, maybe Dom Smith or J.D. Davis or one of these guys being moved for some sort of pitching or anything else. Who knows? Uh, but then you have that as, as the bench piece. Uh, many moving parts yet with uh, with the Mets. Uh, we have a catcher that uh, is off the market. Yeah, Kurt Suzuki signed a one-year contract with the Angels for $1.5 He is now 37 years old, but I feel like Kurt Suzuki is one of the most underrated catchers in the game because he consistently puts together like a roughly 270 average with a solid OPS. He's going to share catching duties with Max Stassi. Here's where I would say the big news is here. A couple weeks ago, we said Wilson Contreras was linked to the Angels to be their next catcher. Well, signing Kurt Suzuki basically says that's not happening. Agreed. That's a uh, another uh thing off the market. I think what it also says is I don't see Wilson Contreras being moved. Uh, this is this is Kyle Schwarber all over again with the Cubs. So uh, will they, won't they? Uh, and then it takes a non-tendering. So I again the frustration with Cubs fans in my opinion would be you have this talent. Yes, you want to you need talent to stay to win games, but also you need to move guys to to replenish uh get prospects and, and things to augment when you need to uh, uh, to have free agency. You can't rely on free agents, and you can't rely on guys that, unless you are committing to Wilson Contreras, I, I don't get what they're they're doing with him uh, yet, but that, again, we'll see what happens this year. <laughs> so that takes care of all the signings. We're going to break down the, the major rumors. Uh, the first rumor has to deal with, uh, uh, again, this goes into to your prediction, or at least a chance to uh, someone that stands in the way of your prediction, and that's uh, Dave Dombrowski. Uh, who likes his big-name stars, uh, and he is trying to keep his star catcher, uh, JT Realmuto, with the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, contract numbers are out there of uh, uh, being offered five years and over uh, nine figures. Yeah, five years, a little over $100 million. So originally when we talked about this, he wanted $200 million, and that ain't happening, and we said that ain't going to happen, and it's it, he's not going to get close to that number. Yeah, does it make sense for him to go back to the Phillies Sure. They, they, any, any team is going to put him in as her starting catcher, right? He's the best catcher in the game. We've said it all offseason. He's the best catcher in the game. Does it make sense for him to go back to the Phillies? Absolutely. Yeah, you're not going to tell me any words otherwise, and I'm sure Dombrowski would love to keep him. I still think it makes a lot of sense to stick in the NL East, and uh, Washington can match that. There's no doubt in my mind that Washington can't match that contract, 
And that's the team I think that he fits better for. So if you tell me that next week we're here talking about him signing with the Phillies, I will eat crow and say, yep, that makes a lot of sense. He's, he's a fine catcher. He's going to slot right back in between Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins. I still like Washington. Well, and again, this all comes down to the part that you, that you can't predict. And that's the, someone's uh, heartstrings to a, to a team. Uh, this is, this feels, can feel like DJ LeMahieu. LeMahieu never wanted to leave the pinstripes. He was getting frustrated that the Yankees were almost using that or exploiting that to their level. Uh, and so he was starting to look at a willingness to go elsewhere. They finally figured out the money and years to, to make everything work. JT Rumuto f- seems the same way. I think that's the only major hindrance as far as the Nationals being a great fit for him. Absolutely. I'd say right now there's one name that is rooting hard uh, for him to stay with the Phillies. It's not Dombrowski. It's Bryce Harper. Because what this deal signifies is are you going to take, and the the NL East is, and no disrespect to the Padres and Dodgers, the NL East is the most competitive division in Major League Baseball. And from the Mets returning, you have the Braves doing what they're doing. You have the Marlins young pitching that's now there. You have the Phillies that are trying to get going with stuff. It is a completely competitive division. And now with the Nationals coming back healthy, all five teams, you can make a prediction right now and not be mocked out of any room for any one of those five to win the NL East. Yep. So Bryce Harper is very much understanding this, that if Real Muto doesn't resign you can take them out of that equation. Uh, that's a, a big piece they need in order to actually compete in the NL East. Uh, so there, and that also leads to more potential longer term things. Does this uh, does this push into more of a rebuild, uh, or do they try to uh, keep at it here? So the NL East is a very fascinating division, not only with what the Mets are doing, but all across the board. And so same way, uh, Washington could easily jump back into the thick of things by pulling Rimuto not only to them to help that offense with their makeover that they're doing right there, but to put a dagger into the playoff hopes of a fellow competitive uh, divisional rival. That is a – I had not considered that, but you're right. There are – all five of those teams are competitive. and I give the credit to the Shells. I, I'm impressed because I was looking through some of these other divisions here, and there is no other division uh, – the AL West, sort of maybe, but I don't know if the Mariners are ready to compete yet. But otherwise, yeah, there's nothing even close to the NL East. You're right. JT uh, Ramuto, though, I'm, t- I'm still predicting it. I just want to be let it known. I have not switched from my Nationals prediction. Let's uh, take a look at uh, the Padres, as we mentioned them before and have been for a, a while now. Uh, they're not done. They're still doing exploratory uh, uh Market, uh, yeah, of, of things that are going on. And uh, why don't you break that down for us? So this one's according to Ken Rosenthal, and it was that the Padres are doing, quote, background work on multiple free agent starters, amongst them being Masahiro Tanaka. Um, so we've already seen them bring in Blake Snell and you Darvish, and we know that Clevenger will be there not this year, but the following year. There's some talk that they're worried about and Nelson Lamette, who, if you remember, he did not pitch in the postseason. He had that bicep injury. And because of that, they're a little worried that his arm might not be ready to pitch all year. And you just said, Tanaka, for maybe he's never reached the levels that the Yankees fans expected, but he has ate a lot of innings over the years for the Yankees. With, like last year, 30, 356 ERA, 116 whip, 44 strikeouts to eight walks and 10 starts. That's really good. Like, Masahiro Tanaka, I feel like, was just a victim of hype perhaps like he was probably overhyped for how good he is but he's still a very good pitcher so if you added him to that already unbelievably good Padres rotation it would just be excellent (laughs) makes sense for uh uh, for them for again easily do maybe a a one-year deal uh at at this point and uh a bridge uh uh, two things uh shortstop market uh Marcus Simeon is getting uh uh talked about with uh and it's Jim Bowden who has the four or five teams that are having interest. Four teams. Jim Bowden says that the Phillies, once again, the Red Sox, the Reds, and the Athletics have all been involved to some extent here. Now, the weird one is, of course, the Red Sox because they have a very good shortstop named Xander Bogarts. Now, Marcus Simeon, I believe when he was back with the White Sox, has played second base. Now, that's been a few years, and the rest of them you'd expect to put him at shortstop because the Reds don't currently have one. I think Freddie Galvis is a free agent. The Phillies don't currently have one because Didi's a free agent. Now you could move 
Gene Segura over there. He's played there, but he's also played second and third. And, well, Marcus Simeon was the shortstop for the Athletics, so they don't currently have one. Now, we're, we said before, he's two years removed from being arguably a top – I believe he finished fourth in the MVP voting, or he was in yeah, the top five. He was in the top five. And last year wasn't great, just 30 years old. He Here's two options here with Marcus Simeon. I think you can take a one-year deal – and you hope to really prove it, or you sign a multi-year deal, which was not as good as it would have been two years ago. But I still think you could easily expect like three years, 30-ish million. I think that's definitely within range of a multi-year deal for him. Uh, there's plenty of teams. Again, when you have the Red Sox showing interest, they're, they're seeing the uh, uh, the upside uh, as an upside signing. Uh, you also have, uh, I mean, you can return to what's familiar with Oakland, uh, or you can, uh, you know, you can uh, move on. I don't know. I said it'll be interesting to see where where he goes because there's still a lot of questions there. Obviously, dollars will matter there too. Does he want just the one year deal and try again? But I don't see it because the next year's shortstop class is loaded. And this one's not like the shortstop class is not as good as next year. You're talking about an excellent one next year, but this one isn't bad. And I thought Hasi and Kim would be the top number in that, but he's going to play second now. So as far as we know, no shortstop is, I can't think of any shortstops that have signed yet. It's Gregorius and Simeon. That's the top of the the market uh, uh, for that. So I I do see a multi-year deal happening, which means if it's a multi-years, I don't think Oakland does it, uh, which pushes you to a Gregorius replacement in Philly, potentially, if he doesn't resign. Uh, or Boston does make a, a lot of sense with some of the stuff that they uh, could be uh, be trying to do. Uh, Kirby Yates, as we mentioned, the relief market finally showing uh, uh, signs of the market thawing and now having activity. Kirby Yates was the top three elite relief pitcher for two years, 2018-2019, uh, before his arm uh, had arm health was issues. Yeah. Uh, and now that he's healthy... Uh, he is out there uh, as a uh, potential bounce-back candidate uh, and, again, another elite elite type of relief arm. Uh, you saw what Trevor Rosenthal did uh, coming back from, from health. So Bone uh, chips. I couldn't yep. remember what it was. It was bone yep. chips that he that was his thing. So, yeah, Kirby Yates, like you said, Trevor Rosenthal is, is a perfect reference because Rosenthal was great for a few years with the Cardinals and had, some, had a few years of not as good production and – bounce back and now he's expected I mean we think he's a free agent right now too but at some point here I expect him to get a fairly decent deal and Kirby Yates it, it's a bounce back you're sure you're betting on production but we've seen production be there he has multiple years where he had sub two five ERAs and I don't know if you can expect that but for a team that needs uh depth in their bullpen sure you you could take a chance on Kirby Yates so the reason why we brought him up in the rumors section is that uh, it has come out that he is in the final stages of considering offers from five teams, uh, and one of the uh, Padres uh, reporters says that the Padres are not one of them. Uh, so there's five different teams that are exploring him, but none of those teams are named at this point, but it sounds like he is getting closer uh, to signing. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. He'd be a good fit for a team like Atlanta. That's a good fit for Atlanta. That would fit very, very nicely there. I have no idea if they're even interested, but in, but that's what I'm in my head. They're that they are. <laughs> we should reference Brad Hand. Uh, he there was a report that first that he signed a, or is in agreement on yeah. a two year, seventeen point five million dollar deal with the New York Mets. But then that then Ken Rosenthal came out and said, "Well, let's tap the brakes on that. It's it's not for sure yet." So he's still considering offers from other teams. Uh, but that should be a signing that wraps up this week uh, as well. We'll see if he does end up with the Mets or otherwise. Kirby Yates could be that. Uh, fit with the Mets as well. Uh, Marcel Azuna, uh, Buster Olney and his Sunday morning column uh, came out and, and said that uh, the Braves and Ozuna, it would be highly unlikely that a reunion happens. Uh, and he, part of his reporting was talking about how uh, Ozuna is the most affected free agent uh, by the pandemic uh, level off season uh, from uh, many, even nas- National League scouts, are very down on his uh, defense to the point that they think that some teams think he is a DH only, which, of course, if that's where you're pinning him, that's only half the league uh, since we don't have any sort of uh, firm oh, issues on if a universal DH, if it will happen or not happen at this point for 2021. 
So as far as the numbers that he was expecting, and again, we already saw him fire his representation this offseason. So it's not materializing in the same way. That being said, you have a dark horse candidate uh, that you feel he would fit very nicely with, and I, I agree at this point. Houston lost two outfielders, well, an outfielder, and yes, they have a very good DH in Marcelo Zuna, or in, sorry, excuse me, Jordan Alvarez. They have a very good DH in Jordan Alvarez, but somebody's got to replace the offensive production of George Springer and Michael Brantley, and yeah, maybe his defense isn't great, and it has, I was just looking at his fan graphs, and it's been a negative, but it's been a negative now for officially five years, the way that fan graph scores it, and that's not great, sure, that's not great, but Houston's a small ballpark, right? It's not a very big ballpark. Uh, you don't have to be asking him to do a whole lot out there. And yep. I don't. I think they're going to feel confident starting Miles Straw in center field. And if there's one thing Miles Straw is good at, it's covering a lot of ground. If you've ever seen Miles Straw play, he's exceptionally fast. So you put Marcel Azuna in right, you put uh, Kyle Tucker in left, and you put Miles Straw in center. That's a pretty good outfield, and he replaces some of the offensive production you need. So I think that Marcel Azuna makes a lot of sense in Houston. Let's, to the American it, let's put it this way. Manny Ramirez uh, played in the outfield for the majority of his career. That. <laughs> so did Kyle Schwarber, right? He's not Kyle Schwarber. He's, so it's feasible, it, serviceable. It's a little bit uh, uh, being overblown. His defensive skills are not so porous that he can't take the field. Uh, and his bat is legitimately very, very good. It's exactly what Houston needs to uh, keep things going for their uh, playoff contending hopes. Uh, so I, I, at this point, I agree. I think the Astros are the best fit for him. Uh, we'll see what uh, what happens there, too. Finally, the last thing that we'll cover here is uh, uh, we're handing out participation awards as we uh, uh, end uh, our podcast here, and the Toronto Blue Jays get the, uh, the best participation award. It was uh, uh, reported that they ha- are the best runner-ups <laughs> of this uh, offseason. Uh, they had a strong offer in for Liam Hendricks that didn't go their way. They offered more years than the Padres for Haas Young Kim. Five, they offered him five years. Padres offered four. They offered DJ LeMahieu. They were the ones that offered him four years and $78 million, uh, which, again, is at about $20 million average annual value versus the 15 that the Yankees were offering. Uh, they offered better, uh, better ceiling prospects for uh, Francisco Lindor uh, and... Uh, before he decided to go back to Japan, they did make a contract offer on uh, Sugano uh, with starting pitching. So uh, they have been right there and made very, very good offers, but they just don't are not ending up in first place in any of these. Here's my prediction. Here's my guess on what's going on with Toronto. Part of it is you, they, you sign with Toronto. You don't even know where you're living next year, right? Because yeah. for all we know right now, you're still in Buffalo, at yeah. least for part of this season. I don't think the border is open yet. So there is even less clarity with Toronto than there is with any other team right now. And that's not going to change. Nope. Not for a while, right? We, we got a ways to go before we get to that. So there's not a lot of clarity in Toronto. Uh, if I'm a player who feels like I want to move my family up there, you can't buy a, buy a house in Buffalo because you're not planning to stay there forever. You can't buy a house in Toronto. So some of these free agents have to make some decisions that, whereas Toronto, we've, we've said, I think they, they have the most cap money, if I'm not mistaken. I At least I'm sure at this point they have to. And they have a good team, right? It's a very good team. It's maybe one or two moves away from being an extremely competitive team, but they are working up against things maybe beyond their control. I would agree with that completely, that the uh, if Marcelo Zuna is the player most impacted by the pandemic this offseason, the Toronto Blue Jays are the, the most impacted organization mm-hmm. uh, as a result of, of the pandemic-related issues. I, I don't know what to think, and we've talked about this for the, a number of podcasts now on the, the two teams that are after George Springer's, the two-team race. We've said it for weeks. It's either the New York Mets or it's the Toronto Blue Jays. The Mets typically don't uh, have not put themselves in being number one for the, a top-related person. They've always gone with a, a, a better secondary option. They, they gone, went for James McCann instead of JT Realmuto. Uh, they've made those types of, of, of moves. Does that finally allow the George Springer? Does that mean that more likely with Toronto? Like that's a, a 50-50 one at this point that I, I can't say which way that, that goes. I don't know if there's any clarity on that. I 
I would love to say that George Springer is going to sign with the Blue Jays. We've heard that Springer got offered from the Blue Jays. I think it's five years and roughly the, the JTR Muto contract, I think is the rumor that it's, he has that on the table from Toronto. Now, we've heard that Springer wants closer to 160, if I'm not mistaken, was what he said that he wanted. But are you, the Mets aren't going to go to that level right now. No, but I don't know if Toronto is going to what he wants either. So he, he's going to have to lower what he wants, I think. And that's asking a lot, right? And a pandemic level, I'm sure he wants to try to make as much money as he can. This is probably his last big contract. He's 32 too, right? Not mistaken. I'll check that. But he, he's probably got one big contract left in him and he's going to try to cash out as much as he can. If you're asking me right now, whether I think he will play for the Toronto Blue Jays or the New York Mets, I still think he's, uh, I, I think he's going to end up with the Mets. That That's still the one that I think he's going to end up with. But it's an I'll go Blue Jays okay. uh, for the factor of I just don't just by monitoring the 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 off season, I don't see the Mets going to, for that top tier option. They they just don't want to pay that that level yet. They made a trade instead for Francisco Lindor to be the face of the franchise. Eventually, he's getting that big money deal. Yes, can they afford him? It's, it's without question. But they they have seemed a little bit more fiscally more fis- have. Let me say this again have more fiscal restraint than I initially anticipated. Hmm. Uh, and they were more than happy to do the secondary options. Instead, I see them more likely to trade for Kevin Kiermeyer uh, from the Tampa Bay Rays to, to man and patrol center field than I do them signing uh, George Springer to a six-year deal. So who do you see? Then who do the Blue Jays get? Springer. The Blue Jays get Springer. Okay. I, and mine, they're, they're getting... Here's what I say. I say that the Mets find a way to pay Springer, and they, they can do that. And then the Blue Jays... They don't want Randall Gritchick in center field. You want to put Randall Gritchick at DH is what you want to do, which is why Nelson Cruz doesn't work as well as it should. They need they I mean they don't need a bat. They have a very good team. Have you seen Vlad Guerrero lately? He's skinny. Yeah. He looks thin, which He's, is good. It's good. It's good. good to see him working on his body because otherwise he was going the way of Prince Fielder, I thought. So uh they they would like one more bat, right? They would like one more player. Could it be a pitcher? We heard Sagano. Could it be a pitcher? Sure. But they're starting to look like they're getting boxed out here a lot. They're still one of the teams that has been talked about with JT Real Muto. Uh, if yeah. they strike out on the other things, because then the, the thought is that they could use and uh, they could use Kirk as a, a, a package for a for a, a pitcher. Uh, then and so that's how they they put things uh, together. So I still think that's unlikely. I but I don't know what they're going to do if they strike out on their top four options. What do they do for their fifth option? And that's uh, anybody's guess at this at this point. There's quality players that are there, but uh, I was just looking like Justin Turner's still available. We've talked about him going there, but I still yeah. think he's back in Los Angeles, especially in all that LeMayhew signed. I don't think they're taking a loss there. Yeah, Mike, we don't talk a lot about Michael Brantley. Like, sure, but that's not really... That's, that's not the level they were wanting. That's not what you were expecting, right? Like, And then there's, there's, there's Azuna, right? Yeah, you could put him in at DH... There's Yasiel Puig. I don't know if that's the same level. Like, there's players there, but it's not what we projected the Blue Jays to do, I guess, is kind of the word. Unless it is, you know, Springer could go there. I said, I still think he, he'll he go to the Mets, but he could go there. And then that's, there's your split. They, they use their money wisely then. Do they not panic, but does the possibility of being boxed out, does it make them increase their offer beyond what they what their initial comfort level was to secure one of these guys? That's a possibility yeah. uh, with with Springer. Uh, I don't see them spending the money that it would take to get Trevor Bauer. Uh, again, that's a different See, financial I mean, stratosphere. I I have never wavered off my Trevor Bauer to the Angels on that. I still think that's the what makes by far the most sense for him. Who knows what he'll do because he, he, he never knows what he's thinking. And he, he could go there. I don't think that's really what they want to do. Now, you know, you put Trevor Bauer instead of Robbie Ray, your two spot, your million dollars tied right there, as far as I'm concerned. But <laughs> uh, I don't think that's really the fit. I, he would hate playing in, if they got stuck in Buffalo, can you just imagine the hate that he would have for that? Surly. Uh, that's yeah. that's the, my uh, how I describe his personality at that point. But yeah. he would get to stick it to Garrett Cole every oh, fifth yeah. start. 
Oh yeah, he, th- he would like that part of it for sure. Oh yeah, he loves sticking it to Garrett Cole all the time. I'm sure he would love to play the Yankees all that much and the Red Sox and say, "Look, I'm better than this." And the guy that wouldn't mind being with the uh, the young up and comer to take down the uh, uh, right. the the kingpins, uh, I, I I could see that very much fitting his personality. I can just see one of those long fly balls that'll leave it. We saw the band yeah. box that is yeah, Salem Field, isn't it? Salem Field, something like that, and he would hate every minute of that. So. Could he go there? Sure. They have plenty of money. They could pay him. I still – I think that they're going to get boxed out of Trevor Bauer and George Springer, and it, maybe it's Marcelo Zuna. I think it's a better fit with the Astros. Maybe it's Nelson Cruz, right? They, they could pay Nelson Cruz. He would fit great at DH, and then you keep Gritchick in center field. That, that one is interesting. That's what I said last week. That makes the most sense if he doesn't go, if he doesn't resign with uh, the Twins, which uh, I think is Rosenthal who said everyone feels that's a foregone conclusion. That I thought that would happen by now. To tell you the truth, that's uh, the one I thought was almost hit. Like uh, I thought that one would be fast, but he's playing hardball with the Twins. Like he wants that second year, uh, and he's and he's was willing to wait to see if there would be uh, uh, a, a universal DH. That's where he thought he'd get it. Uh, and the Padres were one of the teams that were lurking as if a DH happened, they were very interested in, in Nelson Cruz. Uh, but as you can tell, there's plenty of uh, Major League Baseball storylines yet uh, to come. I say we, we finally reached the halfway point of the offseason as far as moves go. Lots of big names that are still out there. A lot of other secondary uh, players uh, that can be uh, big difference makers uh, for a lot of teams. Uh, next week, we are going to cover uh, ESPN came out with uh, a list this week on teams with the most, uh, the most yet to do. Uh, we're going to take a look at some of those teams ourselves uh, this next week, as well as the return of our top 10 of all time, our GOAT series, as we make our way back to the outfield right. to right field with a right lot of the left. big names uh, to uh, take a look at there. And then we'll move into uh, starting pitching. Uh, so that is what's uh, coming up uh, next week. We'll see what happens and what will be another busy week, finally, of uh, MLB transactions and rumors to keep you apprised of. So stick around. We'll see you next week. Go Pack Go! Thank you.